This is your host, Alonso Chejade, and you're listening to Episode 3 with Keegan Hall. You love it. You are great at it. The world needs it. You are paid for it. In this program, we go deep to get answers to essential questions and learn how to develop key skills to live a life that moves you. This is the Beyond the Surface Podcast. Follow your passion. Is bad advice, says author of deep work Carl Newport. A trap that leads us to believe that when we discover work we're passionate about, we will love every minute of it. But passion is not an event, it's a mindset. It's the result of hard work, discipline, and developing our sense of self-awareness. Passion is something we cultivate by investing in ourselves over time. This is why I found Keegan Hall's developing story so powerful. A marketing vet turned artist and philanthropist whose unique set of skills are enabling him to stand out in a competitive industry. In the past six months, Keegan's artwork has helped raise $100,000 for different charities. His pencil drawings have gotten national media attention, the support of professional athletes, and most recently, he was even asked to draw a piece for President Barack Obama. I open my Facebook and I see this post of you of a pencil draw drawing of Michael Jordan. The details were so incredible. I honestly had no idea that this is something that you literally sketched with pencil and it, it looked like a photograph. And I think a lot of the people who know you, I don't didn't really know that you were such a great artist. And then you get all this overwhelming response from everybody who knows you in Facebook and and since then it's just been a crazy journey for you mm-hmm. and t- today I really wanted to learn about kind of like your beginning as an artist is what was your childhood like at that what point in your life did you thought to yourself hey I really like this pencil drawing thing this is something that I'm gonna put my energy into it for a while for mm-hmm. a long time mm-hmm well, definitely the, the the drawing part, at least. Uh, when when do I want to pursue this um, in a more aggressive fashion? Just just came relatively recently. Um, but going back to my childhood, I mean, I think it was a pretty uh, normal childhood in a lot of ways, and a very unique childhood in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, what what I mean by that is, you know, I grew up in a not a, a rich family, to put it nicely. I mean, we lived in a uh, a single wide mobile home and I spent most of my childhood in there. Um, my parents actually got divorced when I was pretty young and my dad moved into um, a little tiny travel trailer on his mom's property. So every other weekend we would go visit him and we would sleep uh, in that little travel trailer. And, and I, have, I have one sibling who's uh, disabled. So just to add another little wrinkle in the challenges um, you know, you face, uh, growing up. So, you know, we had no money, uh, a, a, a handicapped sister. And, uh, but aside from that, uh, I think the rest of my childhood was pretty normal. I was fortunate to have amazing parents that, um, they never, if I was ever interested or curious about something, they never said, no, I like, don't do that. They're always very supportive. So as a result, I, 
I developed this natural curiosity in a lot of different things. Like even today, I guess I'm so interested to try something new or to learn something new. And whenever I, um, whenever I get that, uh, that spark of interest, I typically, I wouldn't say get obsessed, but I get very, very interested in something and I'll, I'll try to learn as much as I can, as quickly as I can. And I've kind of been doing that my whole life. So as I've kind of got older, I assembled all these very random like interests and, and skills, I guess you could say as a result. And then, um, I, I thought they were largely just interesting hobbies, I guess, but then come to today, I felt, I, I feel like I, a lot of these have helped me get to where I am now. Like, Oh, I can know how to do this. I know how to do that. And I kind of stacking them together and, um, and, and something started to emerge from that, that almost is starting to look like a real business, which is pretty crazy to even think. But art was the thing that stayed with you until applying for UDAP. I know you went to the School of Art, uh, got selected for a prestigious um, art studio art program in Rome, Italy. Mm-hmm. They also, I think I read in your website that, or one of your posts that you wanted to be an animator for Disney. So this is obviously something that it was the it. Mm-hmm. What would you say made drawing more special or to stand out over your other interests and hobbies because for example me you know i i draw when i was a kid too i think a lot mm-hmm. of us draw when we were kids hopefully mm-hmm. <laughs> and i remember sketching uh i don't know like a whole bunch of the faces of all the presidents in peru mm-hmm. literally and i thought i was great mm-hmm. that didn't stick with me i'd never even like that didn't that didn't turn into me wanting to be a an artist or and so aligned like you, mm-hmm. where it is stuck, it is stuck with you all the way through your college years. Yeah. So I, what was so special about it? I mean, I think naturally I'm I'm an introvert. Like I was a very quiet child, and I think a lot of that kind of my mom was very outgoing, right? So I would kind of see her getting a lot of the attention, and it almost made me like shy because of it. So I kind of developed um, like a, a guard, I guess you could say, early on. So. Uh, like communication wasn't my strong suit, like meeting people wasn't my strong suit, but, um, art was my way of connecting with people. Um, so even though I was too shy to go up and like start a conversation with somebody, if they recognized my art somewhere, even as a kid, like I would, my parents, um, you know, were big athletes and were always involved with different things. So I would go to their events and, you know, as a kid, there's nothing for me, for me to do there, but, you know, draw or entertain myself. So people would kind of approach me and be like, Oh, that's kind of neat. And even though I was like, you know, a kid, I know there was, uh, I think, a uh, an indication that I had some talent early on, you know, I wasn't like this child prodigy that was like drawing masterpieces from an early age, but I think people noticed that there was at least something there. So that was my way of at least getting some early attention, meeting people that I maybe otherwise wouldn't have, um, even just socially. Right. So I think I kind of used that as a crutch in a lot of ways, um, throughout my life. Cause I was always that kid who, um, drew, there was really two constants that I had in terms of activities. It was art and sports. So without either of those, I would be a very, very different person today where, um, it, you know, in a similar path, like I, I got obsessed with basketball. Right. And I just, you know, practiced so much that I became one of the, the better players. Right. So I was, you know, I played varsity as a sophomore every year, high school and was the captain of our team. And, but on the flip side, I was a very quiet person. So without that kind of, um, 
that social piece of, you know, being on the basketball team um, and with art, you know, I don't know where I would be. I'd kind of be lost and like be this guy who like lives by himself with like a hundred cats. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, fortunately I had these, um, these kind of hobbies to fall back on. And um, but so, so growing up, I could see that there was, um, you know, I had an interest in art. I loved how it made people feel and how I was able to connect with people. Um, and it just seemed like very natural to me. And uh, I, I, you know, I put so much time in it. It just seemed like that was the next step for me. So it's funny you mentioned earlier about, um, you know, when we were talking, you, you get to college and most people don't really know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I was that different from that. Um, I thought, okay, well, I'm pretty good at art, I guess. Um, and I don't really know what else beyond that, but I still in the back of my mind thought that there wasn't really a path in art. Like there wasn't a career opportunity that existed. So it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to study art while I'm here. Cause I, I enjoy it a lot and you know, we'll see what happens, but, um, I'm also going to take a lot of business classes and other classes to see if there's something else that clicks. Cause I always had a passion for business too. As a, as a child, I would, uh, I would sell drawings. I would like buy, sell, trade sports cards and comic books, um, go to like these different shows, like trading card shows. And so I was always kind of wheeling and dealing with, with friends and strangers of selling stuff. Um, I remember there was a, uh, in class in like elementary school, we learned how to make these stuffed animals, like a, these bears. And then I, I kind of took that idea and I started making like custom stuffed animal teddy bears that were themed like I'd do like a Batman one or a Superman one or, you know, just with different a sports one. And I would go and my parents would uh, bowl. They were go bowling every Tuesday night and I would go with them while they would bowl. I would go around and sell these teddy bears for a dollar each. So I kind of like I was always curious in entrepreneurship and in connecting with with people. But again, art was always that constant. That, that creation piece was always that constant. And whether the art was good or not, I think people saw that um, th- there was a story behind the piece, right? It wasn't like I went and bought a bunch of items from a store and then I tried to resell these things. It was like there's this handmade item that this person in front of me made. Like I know this person, therefore there's a, a deeper meaning to this piece than just you know a teddy bear that this elementary school kid made. So I think as I evolved and, and grew up and thought about how my art applies to people, I think that connection component um, really became more apparent, uh, especially today. Um, and we'll, we might get to this later, but when I, I spent uh, you know five years with the Seattle Sonics, and uh, I remember a meeting um, I had with Howard Schultz, right, of Starbucks. It, it was like an all-staff meeting, so it wasn't just me. I'm not that cool. But uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, he said something that's really stuck with me all these years, um, and he was talking about the culture that they built at Starbucks and then how they want to – and the, the customer experience they built at Starbucks and how they wanted to apply some of those principles to the Seattle Sonics. And uh, what he said is um, Starbucks is not a coffee company. So right away, that kind of gets your attention. Starbucks is not a coffee company. He said, we're a people company that happens to sell coffee. And that really, wow, that was pretty significant for me personally, because that, that kind of like, it really sunk in deep. And even when I do my art now, that's like the underlying theme when I, um, you know, approach a piece or it's always embedded in me. It's like, 
uh, man, I'm not just drawing like a picture of a sports player or whatever. Like I'm trying to connect with people and use art as the vehicle to connect with people for something much greater, right? Whether it's the charity, whether it's motivation, whether it's, you know, something like that. I just, the art is, is the vehicle, but it's just, it's more than that. So it's about people. It's about uh, improving your life or making yourself happy. And trust me, I could talk about happiness forever because I've read all those books. I've, that was another one of my interests with all the self-help books and, and, you know, what makes other people happy? How can you attain that happiness? So I would read all those things. And I think I probably had a similar experience as most people. You absorb all that, that information mm-hmm. and you try to apply it to your life and you try it. Maybe there's a few little elements that you think, okay, yeah, that makes sense. It clicks. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And then after, you know, a few weeks or a month, all those epiphanies that you thought you had slowly die away and you're kind of back to where you started. So I felt like there wasn't really this constant, there wasn't like a magical formula to be happy. It mm-hmm. was something much, much different that I later learned. But uh, art definitely clicked with you and it took you all the way to being coached and mentored by, uh, I've read uh, some of the world's best artists in Rome. I know that you, you, you mentioned that you're being coached by these masters of the rena- renaissance period something like that and then this seems to be a very big accomplishment it seems to be like one of the things that can help you stand out in a very competitive industry you already have in mind that since early on you wanted to be an animator on disney what happened after you know you're holding this degree you made it mm-hmm. what you love to do but then you quit pencil drawing cold turkey as you said yeah i mean what yeah. made you change your mind i mean going through U- U- university of washington yeah i had that opportunity to study abroad and you know i lived in, in rome and we got to it was basically the studio art program so it was me and uh, i think maybe like 20 other artists that you had to go through this whole application process and um you know it was probably one of the most amazing experiences that i ever got to be part of because as an artist and you know, the Renaissance period being, you know, my all time favorite artistic period, that's as good as it gets. So learning and I, so I would go to the museums and I lived, you know, a block away from the Vatican and would walk right across, uh, you know, right, right in front of the building every single day to get to class. So you, you are surrounded in this amazing environment and you're drawing from all these greats, you know, I'm like sitting there looking at the Pieta, like drawing off of it or, you know, drawing it from the original. It's just like mind blowing um, to have that kind of access and to be in that kind of environment. So that was like super duper motivating um, for a couple of reasons. One, it it was my first um, kind of exposure to somebody else maybe validating my work. Like, wow, you were good enough to get into this program. Yeah. Like that's a big plus. Um, So that, that was a a big step in the right direction. But even, um, even as I approached graduation, I've always been pursuing like this is kind of just a general philosophy for me is like mm-hmm. you should always have a, a plan A, plan B and like a plan Z, like a, a really worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. So, you know, art, I was so I'm always pursuing two things simultaneously. So art was always going to be there. I was going to get a degree and that was going to happen. That was inevitable. Um, and, and, you know, seeing keeping doors open and being aware of what could possibly come from that world mm-hmm. and also pursuing like a business thing on the side. So, uh, 
you know, while I was in uh, college, you know, my, my first job, well, I guess when I was in high school was in sales, ironically, at uh, like Kids Foot Locker. So that was, and I kind of did that to myself purposely because I knew I was so quiet and shy that I had to just throw myself in the fire and make myself a little bit more outgoing. Um, so I did that. And then when I got to college, I transferred to Champ Sports because um, I'm just a big sports fan. I'm like mm-hmm. a sports nut. I play sports. I watch sports. I know all the stats, all that crazy stuff. Um, so sports was always there. And I actually got pretty good at selling, ironically. So, uh, you know, as I approached uh, college, um, kind of like many people who love sports, my dream dream job was to work in sports and um, being a basketball guy the Seattle Sonics. It just made sense. So I, I applied to the, to the team as I was approaching graduation. And, uh, luckily for me, they were just starting a brand new, uh, sales inside sales team that it never existed. So they got tons of applicants and I somehow got on board. And so did you get sidetracked into, into that industry because it was, it was just exciting at the time or did you actually follow through as far as even attempting to get through the maybe Disney idea as an animator? Is this something that you pursue or something that like randomly disappear? Yeah, yeah. On the Disney side, um, it, it's interesting because when I, I took a trip to Disneyland with my parents one year, I mean, I might even have been in high school even um, or a little younger and uh, my favorite thing, I didn't like enjoy all the rides or anything. There was an animation exhibit mm-hmm. where you got to go and watch a person draw a character. And I thought that was so fascinating. And he was, you know, a quote, real animator that really worked for Disney. And, uh, and I, 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 I met up with him afterwards, like the, his little show ended. I went and talked to him afterwards and I, uh, I just wanted to learn more about his experience there and how he got there. And ironically, it was a little bit demoralizing. He was just like, man, I, it's so hard to get in at Disney. He's like, I've been here for like three years and uh, I have to work out another part-time job. I don't actually get to work on the films because it's just so competitive and there's just so much talent. And so he's like, I kind of get stuck doing these little shows at Disneyland, even though I'm a great artist, but this is kind of what the path has led me to. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of that, you know, shook me up a little bit. I was like thinking, dang, like, this guy's so good. I just watched him draw. Like he's incredible. And this is where it's led him. So I think there's always been this balance. And, and this concept came up in sports later on when I had another opportunity to present itself. But this, it was a very fine line between um, following what you really enjoy doing and trying to make a living Correct. at it. Um, and how do you balance those two? So that, as I started to kind of you know get out of... Uh, school mode i graduated and i was thinking man like i have to get a real job and i can't mm-hmm. just like i can't live the student life anymore yeah like something's got to give i got to get serious and fortunately like sports was a big passion of mine so i thought man i just got this job at the sonics like i'm gonna crush it man i'm gonna give it all i got and i there's a path there i could become like the ceo of the sonics someday so i really felt like that was a very good realistic plan that i could that i could uh execute on Whereas there wasn't really any signs at that point that art was a viable path. Do you think, uh, thinking about artwork and something that you enjoy doing, 
as a professional career, as a business, when you start connecting or trying to connect those two dots for the next step, do you think that killed your passion for drawing at the time? Uh, I'm trying to figure out, because I understand that wasn't a viable path and then there you had other things going on, but you, you said you stopped drawing altogether. Mm -hmm. Do you think, was that one of the reasons why that the idea of just connecting money with art started deteriorating the experience for you? I just felt like I wasn't, I wasn't very good, I didn't think. Mm. So I, I thought like, okay, I really, I'm not good enough to even make it. So I never really even seriously considered going for an art career at that time. And, uh, you know, once, you know, my, my mom passed, like. Sorry, I'm just looking at all these pictures here and I'm just <laughs> like, you're not. <laughs> it's just funny how we have this completely different perception of ourselves. Well, yeah, well, it's. I think we talked about the power of your, your mental state Yeah, and you know, and I think once my mom passed away, it changed me personally in so many ways and just my outlook on life and my priorities and what I wanted to do and accomplish with my life. And this was one of those pieces that, uh, you know, the art, the art piece of my life really, really shifted after my mom passed. And uh, I just put, way more effort, way more focus. And I just took my art to a level that didn't exist when I was younger. So I wasn't doing stuff this good. Cause I, I was almost like, it wasn't, I wasn't serious about it then. It was just kind of like a fun thing, but now it's like, like I, I'm obsessed with it again. Like I, I can't wait to do the next piece and see how far I can push myself and like, like how far, like I'm still learning. Like that's why it's, it's all new again. It's like I'm a new student of art and I'm approaching a piece and I'm like trying to figure out how do I do this? And almost every piece I start was like, I it's still, I'm like, man, I don't know if I can draw this. This might be too hard for me to even pull off. And I'm just going to like flop so hard. But then I got, I get like, I really analyze what I'm trying to accomplish and I figure out these new ways to, to achieve it. And I start applying all of these learnings to future drawings. So it's what's, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you look back at my early drawing, of like cam chancellor, um, to what I'm doing now, there's a very quick progression as, uh, every piece is improving. Like you can, there's a, even myself, like I'm almost, I, I sit at these pieces for so long and I try to capture every detail, you know, whether it's, you know, 30, 40, up to 60 hours on one piece, just trying to capture every little detail and I'm so like into the art and so close to it. And then when I step back, I'm like, damn, like that's, that's pretty good. Like I'm, I'm like, I surprised myself to some degree cause I was never that serious and I was never that good. And once I shifted my mindset to really make this a priority, like so many other doors started happening, but to your, to your question about a business, there was never when I came back into art, it was, there was never, it wasn't even on my radar to try to make a business out of it. And I think so often people in myself, uh, you know, being included in this group, we, we approach an idea with a business first. Like I want to make a business. Okay. Now what should that business be? And then you start tacking on activities to that overarching idea of a business. And it also starts taking over the, simple fact that you enjoy just simply drawing 
Well, that's where I think real business, successful businesses are actually born of flipping that over. Like you're saying, like, Correct. what is something that I really enjoy doing and I would do it no matter what, even if I didn't do art or didn't get paid with it. And that's where I kind of re, uh, my love for art got reinvigorated. It was like, man, I just love this. And then you talk about, we talked about connecting with people and like, people were like, wow, that's really cool. And that kind of got me even more excited about trying to push it even further. And then I could see as, as my story continued to evolve, like people were really like connecting to it in a way that I was like so shocked, but people were getting real positive value from it. And this kind of goes back to, you know, my mom is like, she was just like a positive person all the time. Like she was just always so supportive and especially everything that I did. Uh, she was like my biggest fan. You know, I wasn't, if I failed at something, um, she would always be there to like encourage me. So I, that positive reinforcement was something that benefited me a lot. And I wanted to try to help others do that and, and really be the example. It's like, man, like I, I was probably just like you, you know, like I maybe started something I gave up on. It, I didn't think I was good at it, but I got serious about it. And I just put in all this extra work to really refine and be the best. And, um, and throughout all of that, it was just a focus on people, man. Like I want to give back. I want to raise a bunch of money for charity and oh, by the way, I'm not making any money on this. Uh, it's just something that I really, really want to do. And I think it's important. And from that mindset, um, opportunities, like really big opportunities started to present themselves that I would never have dreamed of um, previous to any of this. And and even now, like these next uh, probably three months, it's going to be crazy. Like things that are coming up that people have no idea about that have just uh, you know, pieces falling into place, like stars aligning that I w- I'm just like, I'm still, I sit back, I'm like, damn, I can't believe that I'm, I'm going to be working with that person and we're doing this. And it's just, I shake my head at it. Um, but again, it's the, uh, the overarching theme of like helping other people, you know, cause you've, you've seen, obviously I do a lot of charity stuff mm-hmm. and I, I still get people asking me this all the time. Cause I, I do these big fundraisers and I donate a hundred percent of the money. So I basically cannibalize all of my own sales. Right. So like the one I did with Richard Sherman, you know, I did the drawing and then we made prints and we both signed them and they, it sold out on the first day, which was phenomenal. We raised $40,000 in one day. And then I just wrote a check to charity. I, that event with Cam Chancellor. So I know a friend asked you to, for the ones that don't know completely your story, I know somebody randomly asked you to, to draw him mm-hmm. and it seems to to me at the time you were you know because i mean the the loss of your mom is still is still fresh it, this happened in 2014 i believe yeah right at the end of and the you know i it's a very emotional subject and i've been through a similar experience and it just makes you those type of events just make you so vulnerable and but also make you reflect about life and completely make all these environmental factors that sometimes limit us disappear because then you realize that doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And then you get into your art, artwork, and as a way to connect with your mom, you said. And is this something that still happens throughout the process of drawing something? Is this something that is like your place to, to be with your mom? Yeah, totally. It still is. I mean, that's what I think. Even as I, you know, when I have like alone time, which isn't very often because I stay pretty busy, but... I just kind of reflect on, you know, what I've done in this short time and what I want to do. And it all always comes back to her. Like that's the time where I get to think about her. And 
I know, I don't, I don't know how she's doing it, mm-hmm. but she's pulling all these strings and connecting all these dots and uh, influencing my path significantly because the things that have happened over the last six months. It's amazing. They're, yeah, they're, they're pretty unbelievable and there's not really a, a logical explanation. Um, so I, I think it's, I mean, I attribute it to her. So she's still the driving force. She's still, um, you know, the reason I do what I do. And, she, you know, I mentioned that she's the most caring person. She used to coach Special Olympics, ba- uh, all the sports, actually not just basketball, swimming. So she was always the one giving back to and like helping other people. So that's like a really, really deep influence on me wanting to do the same. And, you know, going back to my childhood, like there's when I sit back and reflect on on my life. And this is something I did very very significantly when my mom passed was like really re-examined everything that has happened up to this point and try to prioritize things. It's like all of these pieces started to align with my childhood, with me being a, like a young entrepreneur and learning how to sell and then being really excited about art and then, you know, getting back into sales again and, and marketing and really developing, uh, you know, a marketing mind and doing jobs in that field and then having an opportunity to connect all the dots with giving back. Like it's, I don't know. It's, it's really like a lifetime in the making. Like it almost oh, yeah. seems like it was a, it happened overnight, but it, it was like all of these events that took my whole entire life to lead up to this moment. And once that base, that foundation was set, now I can start building, but that foundation never existed. I felt like if, if I would have tried to pursue art earlier on that this, this foundation wouldn't have been there and it wouldn't have worked. No, you definitely have a special skill set. I mean, you, you are a great artist, but also I know you're a very savvy marketer. And then it also helps you that you're a very humble person and you are very caring. You do want to contribute back to society. I mean, it's, everything happens for a reason. Now I want to move to the part where part where you start drawing a camp chancellor. A friend mm-hmm. asks you to draw him and you're just, just doing it for the joy of it. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you shared it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, yes, I, I would say it would be fun for somebody to know, be notified that somebody just draw an amazing pencil drawing of yourself. I mean, <laughs> I would want you to notify me, of me, you know. Were you expecting him to, to I mean, it is it is not a typical tweet or the typical Instagram, right? I mean, nobody does that. They maybe <laughs> try to communicate with a high profile person or a influen- influencer, I guess. Uh, and they don't really get a response back. But you were getting a pencil drawing somebody has put a lot of work in there were you expecting him to uh, react to it or was it really really a surprise yeah i i had no expectations of him replying it it wasn't even my attention to like get his attention um i mean what had happened was my uh, a person after they saw my first drawing they were like hey man i'll I'll pay you to draw a cam chancellor piece for me and i was like oh how much, you know, it's like, how do you even price artwork? It's so hard. Correct. And he was kind of like, Oh, I'll give you a hundred bucks. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to be rich. Like I can actually do like one drawing a month maybe and make like an extra hundred dollars. Like I was just on cloud nine that I, I was going to actually make money doing this. And so that was like my first, like kind of like commission piece getting back into the game. And yeah, once I finished, it was just like, um, you know, on social media, everyone's always looking for something kind of fun and unique to share. 
So I started, you know, just posting, uh, you know, progress updates of my art and stuff. And, and of course my final pieces I would, I would post now and I would, you know, you just say, Hey, this is a picture of Cam Chancer," and you would just naturally tag the person in it. Um, and so that's all I did. I was just, you know, if people wanted to see who I was drawing now, they can click on, you know, him and then see, Oh, is that, that's Cam Chancer. Okay. I get it. So that was really the, the only reason of, of tagging him. There was no expectation of trying, trying to contact him. I never asked him any questions. It was just tagging him in the work. Um, but he, which I later know after getting to know Cam better now, um, he's just like that kind of person that we really have a similar philosophy when it comes to helping people and trying to make an impact beyond that surface level of like, oh, I'm a football player. Or, oh, I'm an artist. There's mm-hmm. something much deeper beyond that. So I think he, uh, you know, just wanted to share my stuff because he thought it was a really cool piece and he's humble and was flattered that somebody would draw him too. Uh, and neither of us really knew what was going to lead from that moment moving forward. It was yeah, just a... he retweeted your work and then he posted it on Instagram and you were mind blown to see that 16,000 people liked it. Yeah, it was like one of his most liked pictures of all of his <laughs> pictures ever. I was like, damn. <laughs> what happened after that? Yeah, I mean, that's... What did that exposure... Uh, how that that impacted your journey? Yeah, I mean, I definitely had a lot more people that wanted art, um, and this is where some of the business stuff starts trickling into the equation. It's like, well, how do you how do you price work? You know, how do I how do you justify a piece that took you know twenty hours, thirty hours? Like, you, if you put an hourly rate on that, you know, it's a pretty expensive piece, and most people aren't willing to you know pay that. So I, I didn't. Uh, you know, there's a lot of attention. I didn't, I kind of took on another piece for like a really low amount of money. Um, but kind of simultaneously that I had lined up previous to that, but simultaneously, um, you know, I had replied to cam like, Oh man, like, thanks so much for sharing my piece. Like that's crazy. And, and we kind of just started, uh, you know, going back and forth with, uh, you know, it was what led to doing a piece for him. And that I think that progression is really what blew the doors up. So that, that initial exposure helped a lot, but what he did for me after that is what really kind of put me on, on a, a bigger plane of exposure. Cause as, as I was drawing his piece, I was posting updates daily, you know, cause every maybe three to four hours, I'll take a picture and be like, okay, this is how far I've gotten. And then the, you know, three to four hours later, I'm a little bit further. So people can really see the process. No, I know. I noticed that you started doing that at the beginning, just taking pictures of the progress. And then you took it to another level and created a time lapse. I mean, we're here in your studio right now. I'm going to take a picture so people can see it. <laughs> Cause I think it's what a creative way of sharing your work. And this is, I feel like this is, this is where you're an artist as a, with your pencil drawing, but also with your marketing skills. I yeah. think it's important to develop that skill set. And sometimes people sometimes don't know that you may be already doing something that is aligned with what you're passionate about, but you don't even know it because you're waiting for it to be discovered. Yeah, totally. And that that's what, you know, Cam did for me. When I was posting all those pictures updates, he was retweeting all of them and sharing wow. all of them. So, you know, a tweet He you kept know, at it. He yeah. lives, it lives, the, a tweet lives for like 10 seconds, you know, it of goes course. away, but uh, the repetition, you know, eventually people will see it. So that really opened up a lot of doors. And, 
as I was starting to get more exposure, I was getting a lot of people asking me about, oh man, it'd be really cool to do like a time-lapse video or, and I was thinking, yeah, I mean, I, me personally, I like to watch other artists and learn about how they approach the work, how they approach their creative process. And, but I noticed most artists are very guarded with that. It's like you go behind a curtain and you work on something for a long time. You don't come out until it's perfect. And then you unveil it and everyone's like, wow, but you never really know how it comes together. So, and and me personally, I was always fascinated by that process and I assumed other people were also. So when somebody mentioned about doing a time-lapse video, I was like, yeah, I think that would be kind of neat. And that was, that is very neat. Yeah. And I think people really were getting a kick out of those. So my first ones, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, You know, I didn't know how to use the equipment. Uh, Otherwise, people these days would would think that you um, did some type of Photoshop trick to pencil size. That's what somebody thought I did on on one when I did the piece for Cam, the the second one that was for him. uh, And Cam posted it, that one too. And somebody was like, oh, like, that's not even a very good Photoshop. Like, he didn't. He didn't read the description or whatever. He didn't read that it was a drawing. He thought I just put some filter on it and I made some edit. And then ironically, this girl I knew from high school saw that comment and was like, hey, dude, and like blasted him. This is on Instagram. It's kind of funny. And it was like, you know, what the heck? Like, how are you going to insult someone's pencil drawing? And then he was like, oh, man, it's a pencil drawing. Like, I'm so sorry. And like, he like apologized. But it was interesting to see that whole thing unfold where, yeah, people just assume that. Uh, you know, you just took a really easy way out. They don't see like the 20, 30, 40 hours you put into it. Um, and, but that's just more of like a, uh, an, an undercurrent of today's society of how limited our attention spans are. Like he didn't bother to read anything. He just like looked at the picture and of course made a comment. Like he actually took the step to make a comment. Um, picture says a thousand words. Yeah. And a video. <laughs> but again, like it goes back to connecting with people. Like I think that's why, um, all these pieces coming together. Like I didn't set out to do like sports art. Like that wasn't my goal. I just did a sports guy in the beginning and that just led to more sports people. But I think what's, as I kind of continually reexamine my path and you know, what's happened over these past several months is it's like bringing a new consumer into art. You know, there's like art is kind of like this industry that's pretentious and you have to be wealthy and it's like you know it has this bad rap you know it's like you you can, go, you can only you have to go to galleries and like pretend that you know this black dot on this white canvas is something so deep and meaningful so there's this very like nebulous mindset when it comes to art that most people um you know are kind of turned off to it's like uh you know so i think that there's like this big percentage of population of people that you know, didn't really engage in art because they just felt like it wasn't something that, you know, connected with them. It wasn't their cup of tea. But now all of a sudden, like, as people know sports, like there's a lot, tons of sports fans, obviously. Um, so people are like, oh yeah, Cam Chancellor, that's awesome. And oh, it's a drawing. So now they have a very linear path to start connecting something that they like into art. And it's bringing, and now when I layer on some of the, you know, the videos and they're seeing the creation, it's like there's this whole new subset of consumers coming into this this art market that would never even have come in this world before and they find it so fascinating because it's a subject matter that they really, really are passionate about. And now they can see the whole uh, process behind it. And so they're much uh, – the piece becomes much more meaningful now. 
right? It's not, and that that's what I try to show people. Like when I draw these things, they're not just like, I don't just randomly draw a picture and like throw it up. There's a very um, thought out um, reasoning behind each person and each drawing, even of like the subject matter itself. Like I do a lot of like emotional drawings that you can see like in these drawings here, the Michael Bennett mm-hmm. one, he's like screaming. And like, if you're a sports fan, you know that feeling or, or Russell, you know, you can Russell Wilson one here. He's like, you know, again, another very emotional piece. And so me being a sports fan, these are pieces that I could really relate to, you know, got me excited. And I know that feeling and I can, I feel that feeling again when I look at them. So I felt like these are very real emotions that most artists weren't really recreating in their art in terms of the traditional sense. Like you go to a gallery, you're not going to see a lot of sports pieces in there. You know, it's like a totally different world. So again, I think it's, it's like bridging two worlds that were living very separate lives and bringing them together. I love it. No, I think you really, you really found an amazing niche. And what it really inspired me the most about this part of your story is you have a full-time job and you're doing this on the side for the joy of it. You're not, because there is all this talk about living your passion. And I feel that sometimes that's associated with making a full-time living from that. When in reality, I feel like what the what's meaningful about that is you are doing something that you enjoy doing on the side regardless of the money aspect the money is secondary if at some point becomes a business great if not you keep doing it i wanted to bring this quote that you share with geek wire that i that i really that i I really enjoyed uh, reading um it says if i can find it here I don't know where, where, where is this? Okay, right here. Beautiful of editing. <laughs> <laughs> no one will notice. Doing it for the joy, not the money. Did you say, I'm definitely excited to see where this goes. If it is a real business, if it's a fat. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It's kind of just like my outlet I w- and I would do it anyways. I don't, want, I don't want to lose the joy by being forced to live off it 100%. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a very, very powerful quote. Yeah, I think, and, uh, you know, I have other friends that are, uh, I don't know a lot of, like, drawing artists or painters, per se, because uh, I've been so far removed from art school, but I know several people that are mu- musician artists, and they've gone gone all in, right? And you, what started off as something you really enjoyed doing, now you have this, this uh, pressure to bring home a paycheck now, and, like, the your approach and your mindset to your creating your art is totally changed and i think unless you can really manage that transition um the artwork itself will suffer um so that that was just kind of one thing that i wanted to be aware of but that wasn't even the reason i think now i'm at the point where yeah i I could definitely you know quit my day job right and i could yeah which is one part where i wanted you to expand exactly which is obviously for the people reading this quote, they may think, "Oh, he, he, he will never jump in full full time because they're thinking, what What do you meant with live off one hundred percent? Yeah, uh, living from your artwork one hundred percent. 
yeah. that you're never gonna do a business because obviously you're interested saying exploring the idea of turning it into a real long-term business so yeah. could you expand on that a little bit yeah i think for me it's just about it's actually a much broader concept of happiness mm-hmm. ironically like this is one thing that i really examined when my mom passed away is like what makes me happy and if you know something doesn't i'm just going to cut it out and not do it at all and i'm just going to really go through all the different areas of my life and make those changes. You know, if there's toxic people, I'm not going to be around them. So I really tried to surround myself with just positive influences. So, um, you know, I, I went the startup route, like I'm not afraid of risk. So it's not like a risk thing. Cause I've definitely taken a lot of risks. I've done a, a few different startups. Um, and, and fortunately, you know, we've made it out alive and we're acquired. Um, and that's kind of the spot I'm at now is like, I actually enjoy my job, right? Like I work with really, really smart people. I have a lot of freedom to do what I think is best for the company. And it's it's still very much aligns with things that I very much enjoy, which is business and art. You know, it's, those are still very prominent in my, in my quote day job. So if I didn't like it, um, you know, I don't need the job per se, but I like the job and, um, so I think it's a good balance of um, uh, of my using my mental power, so to speak. Of you know, during the day I have all these ch- specific challenges uh, that are far different than what I have in the evening when I'm drawing. So um, and I, I've kind of experimented with um, art, you know, full time a little bit by saying, okay, you know, could I draw eight hours a day? Is that something that I would enjoy and make me happy? Because you know, once you do, once you're all in. It's like you got to really start producing work at a, a rapid pace to pay the bills. And, you know, I my my work is so mentally intensive because I'm trying to capture every detail. Like it's 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 similar to like cramming for a final. Right. Like you're just so exhausted by the time you do like if you study really hard for four hours, like your brain is kind of like warped. You need to break. So that that's kind of how my artistic process is to some extent. So it's like, I need that balance. I don't want to do it eight hours a day. Um, cause I don't think that would be healthy for me just based on how, how I approach the art. Um, but like I said, I don't, I don't need to do that. Um, I have an awesome job with awesome people. And if I didn't like doing it, I wouldn't do it. So I guess more than anything, it's given me options. Like I have much, many more options that present itself. Um, now that I have this other piece of of the puzzle of, of my life puzzle, which is art, you know, and it produces an income. Um, so it's, it really buys me options. You know, b- before the podcast, we're, we're talking about how, yes, you want to do a, what you love, but you also want to be realistic and make sure that, you know, it's going to pay the bills. You want to have a plan B. Uh, I mean, through many, I, I heard stories from friends or, you know, other people in general who who were in a similar situation. They they had a talent. They definitely work on it. But at some point, when they got serious and they started looking at who else out there is serious about the same thing, they got discouraged. That's the moment where they were like, you know what? I don't think I'm good enough. I know exactly someone. I know if, if he's listening, he's not he's gonna know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I was a huge, I, I'm still a huge fan of his talent. It's not going to be specific to keep it confidential. Mm-hmm. Since the beginning. Then 
as he progressed, he found himself competing in a national platform with artists from different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. And obviously, that's the moment where he was exposed to another level of talent that he considered was better than his, mm -hmm. even though his was incredible also. Mm -hmm. And then he quit cold turkey. Now, here you are. You went through something similar, but now you're back. And now you are really, you have a completely different perspective of your talent. You have a new, I think it seems like you have a new respect for your own work. Mm -hmm. what, would you, what would be your advice for somebody who right now is listening to this and they've been told that they have a good talent, but for some reason now they feel like they're not good enough? Yeah, Should I they quit? Should they not pursue that as a professional career? Should they, what would you tell them? I mean, my, my thought is always be um, like, take calculated risks. Like I would never do something uh, reckless, especially when you, you have a family and there's very real consequences to some of those actions. So I've always been the believer of pursue something on the side, you know, do something that's, you know, quote, safe or more reliable um, to make sure you, your family is taken care of and whatever, you know, whatever that entails and then pursue something on the side and, and try to get really good at it. There's lots of hours in the evening, you know, whether, you know, I come in, I, I start working my, my wife and my daughter, they daughter goes to bed early and my wife kind of relaxes in the evening and I, you know, I, I'll get to work. You know, that's another, you know, if I start at say nine o'clock at night and go till, you know, two in the morning, that's almost like a full day of work right there. So in terms of like doing something quote full time, like there's, I'm not that far off of that. But it's not just sacrificing everything, putting it all in one basket, you know. So I think people need to be smart about when they approach something new. And there's definitely lots of time to pursue stuff in the evening until you get to a point where you can do it full time. So I would, yeah, I would definitely tell people to pursue your passion, but be smart about it. And uh, at some, and also one thing that I've noticed too, and, and, and when you mentioned your friend when he got to a level of um, you know, a certain level and open his eyes to another caliber of talent. I think that's always going to be the case. There's always going to be somebody better than you in everything. Um, and this is something I learned from just doing startups for so long is that you got to be smart in the decisions that you make, but at the same time, um, being naive about some things is also a benefit or at least not believing in the hype. Like as soon as you, start comparing yourself to other people in the sense that I'm not as good as them or I, you know, I won't, I'll never be able to achieve something because it's too hard or I'm not good enough or they're better. You're, you're toast, man. And that's what like the startup life is, right? Like you, you start starting to build this new company and there's other companies that are already doing it better than you. And if you think, Oh man, why am I even bothering with this? I know there's already, it's already done and done well and you're already toast, man. So I, I think I've always approached business things like this of, um, you know, I'm going to bring something totally unique to this industry that hasn't been done before. And I think my, my approach is really good and I think it could work. And that's kind of what I just naturally believe that I try to, I naturally stay positive, you know, and I, I just, I, I just believe things are going to work, you know, then I, I do my best to ensure that that happens. But I, I never, I guess doubt is such a dream crusher. And as soon as that starts seeping into to your psyche, oh man, it takes over like a cancer. So 
yeah, I just don't associate with any of that stuff. If, if something ever, you know, happens bad in my life, you know, I like, I take a few minutes to internalize it and understand the, the, the repercussions and I just move on. Like I don't, I don't let it eat at me. So I think it's the same thing with, with startups or pursuing a passion. Like there's going to be so many hard roads along the way and you're going to get knocked down and kicked and setbacks. And trust me, if I told you some of the stories from my startup path, Oh my God, you'd be like, why, why would you even do that? Um, you know, from going, you know, a month or two without any salary to on the brink of just losing everything, you know, a few times it's like they're, they're calculated risks, but you're still playing with fire, you know, and it's Correct. a very, very hot fire. So I think there's, uh, there's opportunities, especially when you're po- uh, following a passion, when there's, um, less uncertainty to be a little bit more cautious in your approach until, um, you start seeing that, that glimmer of hope or yeah, something very real is happening. And then it's time to kind of strike and go all in. And that's what happened with my art. It was like, I did something like for fun on a weekend and I just, you know, one thing led to the next. And then eventually I saw that glimmer and I started, okay, and then I changed. I'm like, I'm going to go for this man. Like I'm going to draw every freaking night for five to six hours a night, every night, well into the morning. And that's, I'm going to not watch TV. I'm not going to just do all these other time killers. I'm going to put all, I'm going to be very focused in my efforts and see what can happen from this. And again, the art is just the, the, the vehicle, man. There's like so many other uh, layers of impact that I want to hopefully have with people uh, that maybe had similar upbringing as me or, uh, you know, or maybe having their own struggles to say like, man, like there's a path, like you're different. I was different. We all had different upbringings. Um, that shouldn't be a limiting factor to what you can achieve. Like you should never say like, Oh, like, cause I thought that early on, like, I was like, man, I, you know, I kind of grew up in a trailer park and eh, that's like, who's going to want to associate themselves with that. And like, you almost kind of hide certain parts of your life because you have this mindset that you're trying to impress other people. So you're trying to think of what would they think is cool. And then you try to like build your story around that. And I think it's that whole fake it before you make it type mindset, which a lot of young people, myself included, got wrapped up in. And then eventually, you know, when my mom passed, I just, my eyes became so wide open and I just didn't give a crap what other people thought at all. And I, I, I don't know. And that has been the most liberating experience. I can't even tell you like before when I would get nervous, like if I have a big meeting with somebody or you know, I'm like, oh crap, I gotta, gotta give this presentation. And like, I just get so worked up because man, what if I look like an idiot or I fail or whatever. And then once I got that off my back, that, that worrying off my back and just let go, um, and not cared what those people thought, uh, an interesting thing happened is that I actually did a lot better. Like I can remember times where I would try to you know, I would be in one of those situations and I would be so kind of scared or nervous or whatever. And I would just like bomb or I would just like really struggle my way through it. Um, but once, once I let go of all that baggage that was holding me down, man, like things just felt so much more natural, like speaking and like helping other people and like just things that used to really, really scare me became a lot easier. And it, it just, it all goes back to like living your life for yourself and what makes you happy first? Because if you're not happy, man, like, of course, 
that's a horrible, horrible existence to think that. And, and this goes back to work. Like all these pe- points start tying together. It's like your work, your your work day is such a big part of who you are and how you spend your time on this earth, right? So if you hate what you're doing, oh my gosh, man, you got to like change it. And that doesn't mean like go start a company and like risk everything you have, but man, find a job that you like. <laughs> like that's like the first thing. Like I, that's one of my pet peeves when I, I hear people feel like they're stuck in a job that they hate and they there's no options to get out of it. And they're just kind of leading this miserable existence. Um, you know, it's Groundhog Day. You wake up, you go to that crappy job, you come home, have di- dinner, you go to sleep, and you do it all over again. And I'm thinking, man, how could you do that? How could you let yourself do that? If you don't like it, freaking change it. And uh, and this was a conversation that I had with my wife, you know, like she, you know, she was originally from Romania mm-hmm. and went to school over there in Romania. And a lot of those classes didn't translate to the American system. So essentially, you know, she had to start over at undergrad, you know, and, you know, she's not, you know, an 18 year old kid anymore, you know, you know, we were, you know, we were older and it was like, you know, where do you want to be in, you know, four, six, 10 years, you know, you can keep doing this job that you don't like because you're, you know, you, you make money and that's, I think the trap that a lot of people get in, or you could say, you know what, like, let's go for it. You go out for the paycheck, not for the, 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 you don't really think about if the things that you're going to be doing are aligned with your interests and yeah, and I your think values. That, that, and that's what it was. Like we, she's like a big time people person. Like she's mm-hmm. so great with people and like so nice. Like she's just like, she's awesome in so many ways. And I know that's what makes her happy too. But I know the positions that she wanted, you know, like being a doctor or something, those are, those require certain degrees and certifications yeah. and there's a path to get there. So, I mean, we made that decision that, Hey, go for it, man. And she started over. Wow. And like a freshman, you know, on a college campus. And, uh, she, her, her path was aligned, uh, with her, her passions and, you know, and she just kicked ass and she just graduated this last year, you know, like unbelievable grades, like honor roll, all that stuff. And, you know, the conversation we had before this was like in four years or in eight years, you know, you're going to finish grad school in like eight years, you know, total undergrad to grad. And then you'll probably be like a doctor or you can just do your job for the next eight years and probably be miserable the whole time. So, yeah, it's going to suck in the short term. But think about the long term. And it was a pretty easy decision. And that's a very powerful last note on that, because I on an episode in one of my favorite podcasts, the minimalists podcast they were talking about passion and they got a lot of their callers they have over one million listeners and they get all these calls from people uh, what especially liked about that episode is there's young people asking questions about passion and uh, and i feel like based on listening to to them there is this false assumption that you know oh you're you when you, you know when you find your passion because then you can work on it for hours mm-hmm. and it's always an amazing ride. Mm-hmm. And each of your pencil drawings takes 30, and I and I, I read somewhere, up to 60 hours of yeah. work. Yeah, the huddle is 60. That's, that's, okay, that's a lot of hours. Are you telling me that the whole process, because you actually been keeping up, bringing up new content. It's not like you just disappear for three months. Right, you've been doing this very consistently, and each 
piece takes 30 up to 60 hours. Is the whole process something that you enjoy or are there times that things get like you feel that you don't really want to do it right now, but you basically work yourself up to keep it, to keep at it, to stay, to basically continue that momentum that you have going on right now? Yeah, I think everyone has those days, you know, because, uh, you know, I certainly like there's certainly times where I want to just go chill and do nothing to some extent. But uh, those honestly, those days aren't very often because I'm like a, I, I'm a person that always needs to be in motion. Um, you know, we, we took a vacation recently to California and my wife loves to just sit on the beach and just relax. And I that, that's just not me. That's not my my mindset. That's not how I'm wired. Like I want to go be productive, get things done. Um, so same with the artwork, like I want to continue producing work and yeah, there's, you know, especially those longer pieces, you're kind of like, okay, I've been staring at this thing for a long time. I'm kind of ready to try something different. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's really, it's a mental challenge too. I mean, it's like in the con in, in the sense of uh, staying motivated. Like when I look at these pieces and I'm, I'm drawing one little area and it's, it's just about that one piece of the drawing. I just really focus on that and that's my challenge at hand. So then once I get that area done and maybe the next day, it's a whole new challenge. It's a whole new piece of the drawing. So I try to like uh, stay in like kind of segments of the drawing. Um, and so it keeps it fresh and new. Like I'm still drawing something different each time. So that kind of keeps me motivated that it's not getting stale. Um, so that's kind of how I like play little mental tricks with myself. And that I think that's, it's funny how powerful your mind is or can be. It's the same thing I, I did with when I was back in sales, you know, you're making a hundred over a hundred calls a day, you know, outbound sales calls. And that is hard work, you know, and like you get hung up on and you're making those cold calls like that's tough. So you just got to like play little tricks with your mind. Like I made like little contests with myself and like, would totally compartmentalize the negative associations with the task and just focus on like the fun parts. And I think uh, that really helped me. And even with my art or even with my, my daily life, like I, I will sometimes I'll start thinking about something negative and then you like, I start, my whole body starts feeling bad. Like it really, like I'm very, I would call myself a pretty sensitive person where I can get like, I, I feel things both positively and negatively really um, significantly. So when I have those negative thoughts, they could really bring my whole, like, I don't feel well to that extent. So I just, I, I really try to practice positive thoughts. And like, I, I, it, it, it's amazing if you kind of follow that mindset, like you actually feel really good during the day. You might not be doing anything, but you're just keeping the negativity out and you just feel great, which is crazy. Um, now we're getting uh, close to wrap things up really quick. You, you have a full time job. You are raising a kid. I recently learned that you are also fixing and remodeling your house. Mm hmm. You're spending 30 to 60 hours on each of these work. Plus, you've been uh, really consistent and it takes a lot of work to promote your work also mm -hmm. with your marketing for, for this project. What 
what does a day in the life of Keegan look like doing all this craziness? Because a lot of people would say, wow, I don't think that's possible. I can't do this because I just don't have the time. Yet you're doing it. Yeah, I mean, I don't sleep a lot. That helps. Um, that gives me a few hours back in the day. Um, but I think I just learned through... Like from the beginning, like you wake up, people want to like... Some people, they just don't... They just want to see how you arrange your day to make all this happen and stay balanced, I guess, if, if that's even possible. Yeah, I mean, I, was, I, would, I, I pretty much naturally wake up around 7. Like, I don't use an alarm clock. I just get up around 7. Um, so nothing too crazy. I'm not like a 4 o'clock in the morning early riser. Um, so I get up at 7 and, you know, do the morning stuff, get my daughter ready and off to school, all that good stuff. And then I'm usually at my office around, you know, 8.30-ish. And then, um, you know, coming from the startup culture, there's always way more work that needs to be done than what you have resources to accomplish that. So doing that for, you know, four, five, six years, you start really learning how to be efficient with your time and getting the absolute most done uh, in the shortest amount of time, the, the minimal amount of effort. Uh, and then you can move on and really focus on something else. Um, and, and knowing when to like quit something, you know, when is a task done and you're not continually like refining it and refining it and like it's done and move on. So I think that's kind of the mindset I take. So I'll work, you know, all day until six uh, PM, at, you know, six, six thirty, come home. And then it's like family time, um, you know, exclusively like dinner and whatever we want to do until, um, you know, eight thirty nine o'clock at night. You know, so a good, you know, three, three hours of just family time um, every single night, which that's by far the most important, important part of my day. Um, and then, and then it's back to work, you know, uh, but and it, I go from, you know, 839 to, you know, one or two in the morning. And uh, that's, that's a lot, that's a lot of time in the day. I think, and myself included, like, it's so easy to make excuses about things like there's, I don't have enough time for that. That's because there's so many activities that are consuming your day that just aren't adding value or aren't helping you get to where you want to be. And and sleep is one of those things, ironically. Um, you know, it's so easy to come home from a long day and like watch TV for three hours or then you go do something else. And then at night, you know, from like nine until 11, you're kind of just watching TV. And, you know, it's just like it's so easy to get in that that habit. And, uh, I, I've just been able to remove that habit entirely and, uh, focus on something that still gets me excited that I think really matters to me and to others and, and making a real difference. So there's all these pieces that are continuing that motivation. So when I think, oh, I only get, you know, like five hours of sleep a night, you know, I have other things that are keeping me motivated to power through those and everyone, and I'll go like three, four or five days in a row like that. And then I kind of like burn out. Right. And like, mm -hmm. I, I'm going to take a day off and I'm going to, uh, a night off, I guess. And I'm going to go to sleep early, <laughs> recharge the batteries. And then I just go through it again. So there's a cycle there. Um, but it's, I, I think the biggest thing is being efficient. Like I, I see so much, uh, wasted time and like, I'm like a time Nazi now. Like I just, I think about how I can maximize everything I do at every minute of my day. And, I try to plan it out beforehand. Like, okay, I'm going to do this from that time to that. And I'm going to jump to that. And I just get things done 
and then I move on. Like, I don't let them linger until they're like, and I have to go back to it and then kind of like start over with like, okay, what was I doing with this project and trying to like all that wasted time trying to ramp back up. It's like, do you start something and you finish it and you move on and you just do that all day consistently. And, and even with my art, I was thinking about this uh, in the beginning of if this could be like a real career. And it's like, man, it's really hard to do one drawing at a time and you can only sell one and like, man, you can't really make a, li- it's hard to make a living off doing that. And then I started getting into prints and I was like, man, I only have like one print to sell. I only have like two or three now. And it's like, but then over time, it's like that consistency of like just getting stuff done. And now I have like a whole catalog, you know, of like art that's all been within the last year. So like you start seeing like all that hard work starts compounding. The results start compounding in a positive way. Yeah, I think just there's naturally flowing your way. Who knows later on? Uh, I mean, this prints become kind of like a book, a product that they, you just continually get sales from. And then later, later on, who knows? You maybe even get approached to teach. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of people do that. So yeah, I mean, I get invited to like schools now, uh, you know, high schools, middle schools, elementary schools, and just do like little art lessons, but I try to keep it more than art. You know, it's like, there's a lot of stuff happening in this world and there's a lot of things that, you know, people should be aware of to make their lives better. And if they connect with that message through art, then that's the, how I'm going to deliver it. And last question. What is something that most people don't know about you? Oh man. Um, you can take your time. I mean, there's a, probably a lot of things that I'm, you know, I just recently started being really transparent with myself as, as a person, you know, like, you know, the, the failures and again, it goes back to not really worrying what other people think, what other people like think about you. Um, but I mean, probably one of the biggest things is like when I was young, I almost died. Like I almost wasn't here. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was funny. I was just talking to my dad about this yesterday. Um, when I was just a baby, um, like I said, my parents were big athletes, so they would, you know, they played all the sports even after I was born. And, uh, I was at a, a softball game that my, my parents were playing in and my dad was holding me in his arms, uh, before the game even started, people were just warming up and he was sitting in the bleachers holding me and the shortstop overthrew the first baseman and the ball went sailing into the crowd and hit me perfectly on the head didn't hit my dad's arm. It just square, uh, a hard ball hit me right on the head as a baby. And it actually, uh, I almost died because of it. It fractured my skull. And, uh, I was, I was just like hearing the story again last night of how, you know, my dad was like rushing to the hospital and they went to like good Samaritan hospital. Then they had to like move me to, you know, the Tacoma general is like just this chaos of like, don't let him go to sleep. And, yeah, so I don't, I don't think I've actually told anybody that story. So that's probably the biggest thing. It's like you think about all these things that have happened throughout your life and the impact that you can have on others and, you know, the money. Like I've been fortunate in the last year, I, we've probably raised $100,000 just for wow. charity in the last year. Um, Amazing. And I think none of those things would have happened. So it's like. And once my, my mom passed, I started re-examining all these things from my childhood and that, that being one of those things and how how short of a time you have here and like what's the legacy you want to live, right? So I think that none of this almost happened 
um, it's it's pretty crazy to 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 think about and to kind of like to digest. It's like wow, that's pretty heavy stuff. So that that's kind of another motivator. It's like man, you get one chance here, and you got to maximize it. Like if you want to spend your time, like and it comes back to happiness. If you're happy, like watching TV, awesome, great, watch all the TV you want. But if you want to have uh, some a more meaningful existence, whatever that means to you then make the changes to, to to head that direction and and don't be afraid to just get out there and try it. Then I'm going to end the episode with this quote that I read that a can chancellor told you, I think during a lunch meeting that I, I really resonated with me. Um, he said, many people want to be great at something. They yearn to reap the rewards that come with being considered one of the best. But all too often they fail to follow through on the pursuit of their dream because they lack the work ethic required. Natural talent will only take you so far. The only way to be the best is to work harder than everyone else every single day. But it takes a lot of self-discipline to consistently put four level, to put four level the level of effort required to even have a chance at becoming great. It's all about self-enforcement. With so many distractions in the world, Will you enforce the behavior required for success or will you make excuses as to why you didn't reach your goals? You are an enforcer, which happens to be Cam Chancellor's nickname. Mm-hmm. And I think he was telling you that he thought this was the other, he, th- he this is the other meaning for him of his nickname and how he felt connected with you because you're the enforcer of your passion. Yeah, I and mean, I think a lot of people just think that um, success comes from talent alone like oh you know cam chancellor's in the nfl and he's one of the best because yeah he's you know six two and he's fast and athletic and oh it's so easy and i think a lot of people have that mindset when they look at other people and they put them up on a pedestal like oh steve jobs was just smart like he was just smart bill gates they're just smarter than everybody like i can never do that and i think the opposite is actually true where you have to have some level of talent but that's that's just the tip of the iceberg, man. Like if you really put in the time and effort, like anything can be learned. I feel like anybody can learn to draw or anyone can learn to be a better writer or like anything can be learned. That doesn't mean it's easy. So if you are willing to put forth that effort to consistently practice whatever you want to learn, like I am 100, I'm a 100% believer that, you know, one month, six months, one year down the road, you will be really good at what you do. In fact, I read a, I read a book recently that it was, it was talking about reinventing yourself. And he basically said in five years, you could start something right now. And if you did that consistently after five years, you would be um, one of the best in the world at whatever it is you do. If you did it, I think it was like three hour, two or three hours a day, you know? So it's like, and it, it, it kind of goes back to my wife. It's like, where, where do you want to be in, you know, four years, eight years, what do you want to be doing? And just think if you picked up something right now, you picked up a, a hobby or something you wanted to learn and you practice it consistently for the next two, three, four, five years, you will be the best or one of the best at that. Cause you have spent so much time doing that one thing. And I think it's people get overwhelmed at that notion of looking that far down the road and putting in that much time. But if you take it one day at a time, like just today, I'm going to draw for three hours and that's the goal. And I just do that. 
and then tomorrow's a new day. And I just try to do it in bite-sized chunks. And like me with my art over this last year, that consistency has paid off. And like, I feel like I'm getting, I'm still getting better, but that's the reality of practice, right? You know, if you want to be a writer, you just practice and you put out a bunch of work. You don't, I look, I was telling my wife, I look back at this early Russell Wilson one that I did and I see so many things I could improve on it, you know? So I can, I can, and that's how it is. Like you put stuff out that you is the best work you can do at that time, but you're never satisfied. You always want to just keep digging deeper and improving. But again, it's, it's a, it's a work ethic. It's like, it's self-discipline, it's self-accountability and if you don't do it for yourself, no one's going to do it for you. So you got to just get rid of all those excuses of why you're not where you want to be and put a plan in place to consistently head that direction. And I assure you within five years, you will be there. Keegan, thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> it was amazing. Like was. If you enjoy this interview, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. I would really appreciate it. For more information, to learn more about Keegan Hall, and to access the show notes, please visit thebtspodcast.com.